Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard, Bill Crystal. And Bill, there's an astonishing story out of uh, Africa that has captured the attention of the world, activists left and right, and it's also now making its way, apparently, into 2016 presidential politics. Yeah, I mean, there's this ghastly abduction of apparently almost 300 Nigerian girls by the Islamist terror group, Boko Haram, um, and uh, Hillary Clinton has tweeted out and denouncing it, of course, and saying we must stand up for terrorism. But Josh Rogan, who's an intrepid foreign policy reporter, he's the guy who actually uh, somehow was able to obtain a tape of John Kerry's comments to that private meeting about Israel being an apartheid state. Josh Rogan has a terrific piece last night, which we'll link to on our website. I'm actually discussing in the editorial I just wrote for this week, uh, pointing out that Hillary Clinton, as Secretary of State, uh, spent two years refusing to designate Boko Haram as a, as a terrorist group. Um, it's not clear how much that designation would have mattered, but it, it does allow the U.S. government and other governments actually, it allows the U.S. government to do various things against a group like that and to pressure others to move against them. In any case, she was pressured both uh, by bipartisan members of Congress, wrote her letters saying, it shouldn't, isn't this a terrorist group? Shouldn't we designate them on the State Department list of, of terror groups? Uh, others in the admin Obama administration pushed for this. Obama's FBI and CIA directors, Obama's Justice Department pushed for this. The State Department was very stubborn. And they wanted to not cause embarrassment for the Nigerian government. So I'm not sure this would have changed anything. It's a horrible group, and I think at the end of the day, you have to do more than designate them on a list. You have to be willing to be serious about crippling these terror groups, as George W. Bush was, uh, as Barack Obama is only, I'm afraid, very much more selectively. Um, and in this case, you know, it's a regional group, so we just don't care about it. Now he cares a lot. Hillary Clinton cares a lot. But, of course, we've done nothing. And I don't see much prospect that we're going to do much, unfortunately, because this administration is so averse to actually acting as opposed to talking about how upset it is about what's happened. In any case, I do think for Hillary Clinton, it will just remind people she's not just a commentator on the passing scene tweeting out her uh, unhappiness about what's happened. She was Secretary of State for four years, and people absolutely legitimately can ask the question, uh, what did she do and what didn't she do? And in this case, Josh Rogan really has the goods on uh, not just a kind of passivity from the State Department, but a resistance to doing things that others in the administration wanted to do that might have damaged this group. And it's hard to think of what the uh, strategic uh, uh, plan would be that would say, let's not declare them a terrorist group because of something having to do with Nigerian government. Of course, the Nigerian government says they have no connection to Boko Haram. And then there's the huge you know, elephant in the room, which is everyone knows the Nigerian government is one of the most corrupt governments in the world. So it's not like we're losing a friend or anything if we called, called them a terrorist group. I'm trying to think of what Hillary's well, worldview, what her global strategy is behind saying, let's not call these obvious Islamist terrorists terrorists. I think the State Department doesn't like embarrassing governments, and, and they want to keep good relations. And, of course, there's some reasons to have good relations with Nigeria. And the Nigerian government didn't want this to happen because it, was, it would have been embarrassing that, to say that the chunks of Nigeria were controlled by a terrorist group, which the Nigerian government wasn't able to suppress. But and that's typical State Department behavior. And the truth is Hillary Clinton, the Secretary of State, presided over the State Department and represented sort of State Department the State Department view of things. She, she didn't impose her will much one way or the other, honestly. And so if you think the State Department's way of thinking about the world is what we need in a president, then you should be fine with Hillary Clinton. If you think a little more aggressive leadership than State Department bureaucrats often provide 
in uh, dealing with a group like Boko Haram and dealing with it before it abducts another, and of course this isn't the first time they've done this, before they abduct another 300 girls and, and basically sell them into slavery. Um, if you think it's important to, to deal with these groups uh, more actively, more proactively, I don't know that you'll really want Hillary Clinton as president. Well, it is very hard to get declared a terrorist group by the folks running Washington right now. Well, unless, of course, you're a Tea Party organization, in which case they have no problem throwing the T word around. The Tea Party, uh, according to the headlines, did not fare well in the uh, primaries we had this week, Bill. I don't know that I agree with that. No, I mean, the big primary was in North Carolina. Establishment candidate Tom Tillis won. He won with about 45% of the vote in a multi-candidate race. 40% was what you needed to avoid a runoff. But the truth is, it shows how much resistance there is still to the establishment. Uh, it, it, that he only got 45 percent. He was the speaker, is the speaker of the North Carolina General Assembly. You know, was clearly the kind of the obvious candidate, you might say. And, and in fact, the candidates running against him were pretty flawed, especially the main uh, so-called Tea Party Party candidate, who had uh, personal financial issues and also had said really foolish things. Was kind of an isolationist on foreign policy. I think it does show, incidentally, that the isolationist card isn't so strong as people think. You know, you read all these stories, isolationism is rising in the Republican Party, Ron Paul, Rand Paul. Rand Paul came in for Brandon, the challenger to tell us, and didn't seem to help him at all. In, in a primary in the 3rd Congressional District of North Carolina, uh, Walter Jones, who's a great ally of Ron and Rand Paul, barely survived an underfunded challenge um, some outside groups spent some money. One of the, I was involved in one of them, but but the candidate himself raised very little money uh, from, from a young man, Taylor Griffin. Jones has been uh, congressman for 20 years. His father was congressman for a quarter century before that. Mm-hmm. He beat Griffin 50 to 45, and Griffin ran entirely, pretty much, on uh, Jones uh, uh, being ant, being Ron Paul-like isolationist on foreign policy. So, I, I think the good news is this: that uh, you know many people are pro Tea Party. I would count myself as one of them. They're also willing to nominate the, you know, the, the, the most uh, electable candidate in states rather than simply cast a protest vote. Tom Tillis isn't, what, isn't the guy they loved, but enough of them were willing to vote for Tillis to put him over the top. And I think if you, we will end up two months from now with a slate of Republican candidates in uh, competitive seats who are strong. I mean, they'll be populist enough and conservative enough, I think, to motivate Tea Party voters and to really get them out, and they sh- should come out for these candidates. They also won't make the mistakes that some candidates have made in 2010 and 2012. I think if I were a Democrat looking at the electoral map now, I would be unnerved by the North Carolina results. And interestingly, polling showed that among self-identified Tea Party supporters, uh, Tom Tillis did very well. In other words, the Tea Partiers did not have this visceral hatred of the establishment candidate that uh, sometimes you would think they would based on the way they get talked about by the establishment in Washington, that they're just these wild-eyed loonies who anybody with a whiff of you know compromise in them gets thrown over the cliff. Even Tea Partiers, according to the exit polls, who voted uh, for the other candidates said, yeah, he's okay too. Right, and Tillis went out of his way, I think, correctly. Tillis is pretty conservative, actually. Exactly. He's been a pretty conservative uh, speaker of the assembly down there to explain that he really is a conservative. And, and if conservatives will come in different flavors this year, there'll be different candidates in different states. All, but I think the Republican candidates will all, first of all, be pretty conservative. Uh, and secondly, I think pretty strong against the Democrats. And, and I'm, I'm really encouraged, and we've discussed this before, by the quality of the Republican candidates 
not just the quantity of states, the number of states where they can be competitive. It really looks like a, a lot of younger candidates, a lot of interesting candidates. Um, and I think in some states I prefer the more slightly more Tea Party candidate. In other states I might prefer the slightly more establishment candidate. I think voters are looking past the label and saying, well, who's really well qualified exactly. to be senator? And the Tea Parties have shown again and again they are absolutely willing to support the more establishment candidate if they think that can win. And I think you see the nationalization of this race uh, for 2014 becoming so ingrained that everybody's approaching it with the same uh, uh, you know, question in mind. How do you remove Harry Reid? Now, Bill, as you look down the uh, road at some other primaries coming up later this month and early next month, do you see any candidates we should keep an eye on? I think Nebraska next week will be interesting. That's presumably a safe Republican state, so uh, it's not a matter of nominating the more electable candidate. But there's been a pretty bitter... Uh, three-way Senate primary, actually, we're going to get four or five candidates, but probably three will have a chance to win. There, for reasons that are sort of inexplicable to me, um, outside groups associated with Mitch McConnell, and they're not inexplicable, I understand them, but I think they're foolish. Outside groups associated with Mitch McConnell have gone after Ben Sass, an extremely impressive 41-year-old Yale PhD, who actually is the sort of more populist Tea Party preferred candidate in Nebraska. He's a perfect meshing of really right. Tea Party and qualifications. Um, real expert on Obamacare, committed to repealing it, uh, but he was supported by some of the outside conservative groups, and Mitch McConnell has vowed to destroy them, and so McConnell-affiliated PACs have gone after SAS. That, I think, is a... He, McConnell's free to support whoever he wants, sure. but he, he pretends he's not supporting anyone in that race, and then his friends go after SAS. I think they're going to fail. I think SAS... I think any Republican will win there, and the other right. two Republicans aren't terrible, but I think Sass would be by far the strongest uh, member of the Senate, a real leader in the Senate, as will Tom Cotton in Arkansas, Dan Sullivan in Alaska, and a lot of uh, Joni Ernst, I think, has a good chance now to win in Iowa in early June. I think she would be the strongest both candidate against Braley in the general and actually a really impressive senator, a 42-year-old woman who's an Iraq vet. You could have a lot of interesting Republican candidates and interesting Republican senators in 2015. And then you throw in a Senator Scott Brown, who represents the blue end of the Republican spectrum. And who knows, you could start building a coalition towards 2016 that's got, that has, gives voters a lot of different ways to come in the door. Another person who opened the door for uh, Americans to find a new way for political thinking is a guy, I think you know his name, Bill. It's Irving Crystal. Think way back. I know, an obscure yeah. name to you. Right. Well, it's nice of you to mention my father, and uh, uh, we did launch, or the Foundation for Constitutional Government that I'm associated with, uh, launched a website, uh, the fourth in a series that we're doing, trying to make easily accessible the work of thinkers who we think it's important that people uh, be able to read, especially students. They may not get assigned these things in class, and uh, they might go online, and, you know, it, it's sort of mystifying. You Google, you see a lot of right. different articles. This is a curated well-assembled, well-organized website with links for people who want to explore the work of my father. There's also a website for James Q. Wilson, the late James Q. Wilson, a great political scientist, and also uh, someone who was a you know, deep critic of modern liberal social programs, Harvey Mansfield. So I, we're going to do a bunch more, and I think it will be a way to help make the work of people who influence me, certainly, and many of my generation, um, you know, make them more available and accessible to everyone, obviously, but but especially maybe to younger students today. If you were going to recommend one piece by your father for someone who's never read his work for themselves, who's just seen it excerpted or commented on, what piece would you recommend? Well, that's a hard that's a hard question. You know, he was a really wonderful essayist, and so many of the essays are, are gripping. I just actually taught a little class here in Washington for sort of young professional types, and we read some of my father's essays, and I was reminded of how 
interesting they are, and how willing he was to sort of you know criticize conservatives back in the 70s and 80s, and, and to try to explain what was uh, the limitations of American conservatism, of, 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 of businessmen, and the way they think about politics. Uh, very, and the young people, these are people in their 20s pretty much uh, in, the, in the seminar, um, really found it stimulating, and they didn't always agree, but so uh, that was a good essay on corporate capitalism in America, but uh, people should go on the website and you know look at there are a lot of topics, everything from capitalism to democracy to American history to religion. People can begin to explore um, the writings as they wish. There are also some interesting videos that uh, you know interviews he did, and he wasn't a big TV guy, but I did book notes, and and I think those are those are fun to watch too. Yeah, I think it's great that you're taking all these great thinkers who've had so much influence. And I have to say, Bill, I keep I, I keep emailing you know my previous work to your website so that you guys can start posting the MichaelGraham.com page, and it keeps bouncing back. I don't. We need to fix that, obviously. It's on the it's on the list. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of a long list. It's kind of a long list, Michael. But you know, in one day. It, 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 Keep looking for michaelgrand.org, and one day you'll be pleasantly surprised. <laughs> Bill Crystal, thanks so much for your time. This has been the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.